This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for April 27th, 2018. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Well, one of the biggest misconceptions about the dinner, and it drives me crazy to see this written uh, a lot in the recent years, is that it's a roast of the president. It's not even close to supposed to be a roast to the president. Our guest on this episode of C-SPAN's The Weekly Podcast is George Condon. He covers the White House for National Journal and is a past president of the White House Correspondents Association. He's also working on a book focused on the dinner. He joins us to talk about the history of the Correspondents' Dinner, presidents who have skipped it over the years, and moments that still bring laughter today. George Condon, in your research of the White House Correspondents' Dinners over the years, what has surprised you the most? Well, actually, the biggest surprise to me is, is why I got started. Uh, the, the year I was president in 1993-94, uh, uh, I looked at the program and we list our former presidents of the association in there. And we had five or six blanks. And I said, this isn't right. We've got to know who our own presidents are. So I looked into it. And four of the ones we listed were wrong. We didn't know who our own presidents were. We didn't know what years we had dinners. We didn't know who our entertainers were. So my biggest surprise was that we had kept absolutely no records of anything, which is embarrassing for for journalists. And then when I started looking into it, uh, I had two other surprises. One is how many of the news stories about the dinner and the association had errors in them. And thirdly, how everybody is wrong when they keep writing incessantly that the uh, celebrity era was something brand new and at odds with the founding of the dinner. the fact is that celebrities uh, is in the DNA of the dinner, was there from the very start, was one of the reasons uh, for the dinner, starting with vaudeville and then radio stars and then TV stars and, and Hollywood. The whole point of the dinner was to bring your sources and show them a good time. And you opened the dinners to cameras. I did. Uh, as, as, as vice president... For the '93 dinner, I I, I fought hard to uh, to open it, and uh, uh, C-SPAN was uh, the only one we let let in in the '93 dinner because we didn't want to give up any tables and we didn't want to uh, to have multiple cameras. And uh, and in fact, the networks didn't want the dinner opened. Uh, they objected because basically they they didn't want to have to work. That night, so it was it was a partnership with C-SPAN uh, at the beginning that opened it up. Complete this sentence: the purpose of the dinner, the mission of the dinner, is what? To have fun, uh, one night when you can take sources out and officials, the people that you cover, and have fun one night. And often we hear the term from the gridiron dinner and how that is applied to political humor: singe but not burn. 
How do you define that, and how do you uh, look at that in terms of political humor over the years? Well, one of the biggest misconceptions about the dinner, and it drives me crazy to see this written uh, a lot in the recent years, is that it's a roast of the president. It's not even close to supposed to be a roast to the president. Uh, in the, the humor hasn't even singed most years. It's been the, the type of Bob Hope uh, giving a joke about uh, Dwight Eisenhower's golf game. That's about as tough as it got. In the entire history of the dinner, there has been one roast, and that was uh, 2006 when Stephen Colbert uh, went, went beyond singeing and really burned uh, uh, President Bush. That's the only time that you could say the dinner was a roast of the president. Why did he cross the line? Well, I, I actually defend him somewhat. I don't think he was in, a, he was in an impossible situation. We brought him in and he plays a role. His role is the, the blowhard, faux uh, Bill O'Reilly guy. So if you're in that character, you can't follow the rules. And the rules, the unofficial rules, unwritten rules of all these dinners is that you make fun of both sides. You make fun of yourself. You make fun of everybody. And you end with some uh, uh, something about what a great country it is and how important freedom of the press is. If you're in a role, if you're playing a character, you can't do that. You can't make fun of both sides. So he did exactly what he did on his show. And, you know, I don't, I don't fault him for that, but it's not a fit for the dinner. We went back to the C-SPAN archives and have a couple of moments we want to share with our audience and, and get your thoughts on. First, from 2011, President Obama taking aim at Donald Trump. Now, I know that he's taken some flack lately, but no one is happier. No one is prouder to put this birth certificate matter to rest than the Donald. And that's because he can finally get back to focusing on the issues that matter. Like, did we fake the moon landing? <laughs> what really happened in Roswell? And where are Biggie and Tupac? From 2011, the White House Correspondents' Dinner with President Obama and Donald Trump in the audience. Oh, it, it, I, I could see uh, uh, Mr. Trump that night, and he was not happy. Despite all the things later on, he said he laughed. He did not enjoy it. That, that was a fascinating dinner. Uh, in fact, I'm doing a, a separate chapter uh, in, in the book about the, the association about that dinner. It was, that was the greatest evisceration uh, by a president of any individual. Uh, and also, remember what was going on that dinner. The president had already given the order to launch a raid to, uh, to get Osama bin Laden. So he was keeping a pretty big secret there, and there were a handful of people around the room who knew what was going on, uh, but had to pretend everything uh, was normal. So that, that was one of the historic dinners. We know now there is nothing in the Constitution that requires a president to attend these dinners. <laughs> Past presidents have skipped the dinners over the years. Why? Um, well, you've had, uh, you've had 10 dinners uh, that didn't have presidents. You had no dinner in, uh, in seven years. In part, that's 
one time uh, was in 1938 because there was a strike of the people who delivered uh, uh, beer and milk to the uh, hotels, so they didn't want to make uh, President Roosevelt cross the picket line. Uh, and then World War II, one was canceled. Truman didn't want to go, so they, he asked them to cancel uh, two of the dinners in 51, 52. And then because the president didn't want to go in 58, 60, and 65, they canceled those dinners. Then they decided, you know, we're not going to do that again. So you ended up with substitutes for presidents. And we've had 10 dinners where the president didn't go. Uh, the first one was sort of an exception. Uh, in 1930, uh, uh, President Hoover was on his way to the dinner when he found out that uh, Chief Justice William Howard Taft uh, had uh, just died. And he immediately declared a period of national mourning and figured probably not a good idea to declare a period of national mourning and go immediately to a dinner to yuck it up. So he didn't go to that. Uh, after that, we had uh, LBJ skipped one, Nixon skipped uh, three, Carter skipped two, and Reagan, with probably the best excuse of anybody, uh, uh, skipped one uh, because he, would, he had been shot. So, George Condon, if not the president, who filled in? Well, that's a question that we're looking at right now because last year, President Trump was the first president to skip a dinner and send nobody. And in fact, the the worst thing about last year was that he didn't let the staff go. And the dinner is really for the staff, for us to thank the people who help us uh, do our jobs. This year, we still don't know. Uh, well, I, I don't know who's filling in for the president. But the 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 pattern is... Uh, in 66, Vice President Humphrey filled in for the president. In 1970, the, oddi the oddest one of them all, the Chief Justice of the United States filled in for the president representing the administration. If you can imagine a Chief Justice saying he represented an administration today, that would be a scandal. In 1972, the First Lady, Pat Nixon, uh, gave the speech. Uh, in 1974, Vice President Ford uh, Represented Nixon, who had a pretty bad year in 74 and skipped the dinner. Um, the worst two fill-ins were Jody Powell, the press secretary, filled in for Jimmy Carter in 78 and 80, and they were both just disasters, not at all funny. And then finally in 81, Vice President Bush filled in. So it's the, the ones that have worked the best were the uh, first lady and the vice presidents and the worst press secretary. And in 1981, Ronald Reagan did phone in talking to Bob Pierpoint of CBS News. Both both he and Nancy called in. They were at Camp David uh, recuperating from the uh, surgery and the shooting. This is Ronald Reagan in 1986, April 17th of that year. And I hear that NBC is going to do a hard-hitting report saying the only reason Ron Reagan Jr.'s career has taken off is because he has a famous father. And the guy saying it will be Chris Wallace. At my last press conference, I thought that gimmick of wearing a red dress to get my attention went a little too far. But it was a nice try, Sam. Is that the right approach? Oh, it's it perfect. I've, I've gone back and reread all of and, and watched on C-SPAN all, all of Reagan's. He never uh, said more than a thousand words. Uh, he didn't take up a lot of time. Uh, he 
always, always was self-deprecating, made fun of himself, usually his age or, or you know, falling asleep in a cabinet meeting, that type of thing. Uh, he had a few jokes like the type that you just had where he understood who was in the press corps and, and what their vulnerabilities were, but they were never mean. Uh, he really had the perfect touch. Uh, in researching these dinners, the name Landon Parvin comes up quite often. Who is he and, and why is he significant? Landon Parvin, uh, actually you see his hand more in, in Gridiron than you do in, uh, in the Correspondence Center, but he is the, and has been since Reagan, the go-to person for Republicans when you have to be funny. He is pitch perfect. He understands the dinners, uh, and he understands not to be too partisan, but to, to make the point. He, he just has a nice touch. Two examples from the Bush era and with the recent passing of Barbara Bush. There was this moment in 2002. Ozzy Osbourne was in the audience, and here's President George W. Bush. Thinking about Ozzy is he's made a lot of big hit recordings. Party with the animals. Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. Facing hell. Black skies and bloodbath in paradise. Ozzy, mom loves your stuff. George Condon, you're laughing. Oh, it, well, because that was a wonderful moment. And, and what happened just before that clip was he had, the president had mentioned that Ozzy was, was in the ballroom and Ozzy got up, stood on his chair, and accepted the applause that, that went on for, for probably a minute or so, prompting the president to say that that may have been a mistake. Uh, it just was, it, it was a great moment. How do you strike the right touch? Uh, it, it's easy. Don't be mean. Don't uh, be nasty. Don't be too personal. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton ended up uh, in, in, extraordinarily good at these dinners. Uh, by two th- in 2000, he brought a video that is a classic of the kind. Of, it's the, the best uh, that's been at any of these dinners. But in 93, uh, he really wanted to use the speech to, uh, to get at the press, to, to really sort of be... Uh, nasty toward that and that that doesn't work and the staff brought him along and he learned you know bill clinton learned from any mistakes and he he wasn't great in 93 and he was he was the best at it uh, by the end for those watching on c-span uh as a past president you were on the dais in 1993 seated next to the president of the united states what's that like what do you talk about well it's uh it's it's fascinating. Every president is different, of course. Uh, for me, it was uh, uh, the, both ninety three and ninety four. Uh, rem- remember, you might not know this, but uh, I had first interviewed uh, President Clinton when we were both students at Georgetown, and I had interviewed him about a Georgetown football uh, story. So we spent part of the dinner talking about, of all things, Georgetown football and, uh, and people we knew at, uh, at school. Mixed in with that was talk about how much he relied on President Nixon for advice, China trade, uh, the Middle East. Uh, you, you talk about just about everything. 
at, at, at some point, President Clinton would sort of tune you out and start focusing on his own remarks because Bill Clinton was the best uh, that I've covered at incorporating into his remarks something that had happened at the dinner, something somebody else had said. And he would, he would make notes to himself as other people were talking. He really listened to what others were saying. Uh, and, and so the, the conversation would lag a little bit uh, at that point. Uh, when you were sitting next to President Obama, it was, it was some talk about basketball, uh, but uh, a lot of policy uh, stuff. It's, it, every president is different. We're talking with George Condon. He covers the White House for the National Journal and coming out with a book next year? Uh, yes, yes. Let me ask you about the awards given at this dinner, because I think it was 1999, a number of awards to reporters who had covered the Monica Lewinsky story and the impeachment of President Clinton. How awkward is that for a president, in this case Bill Clinton, or other presidents who might be seeing those being honored for investigating their administration? Oh, it's extraordinarily awkward. Uh, uh, we've only been giving awards since uh, uh, 1945, uh, when we gave the first one, which I point out because I've, I read a story recently. Somebody said, "When are we going to get the dinner? Going to get back to its roots of uh, of journalism awards?" Well, <laughs> it was 40 years before they started giving the first award. But Harry Truman in 1948 uh, went beyond just awkward. Uh, he was furious that he had to give an award uh, for stories that were hostile to his administration. And, and the, in his diary, the morning of the dinner in 1948, he wrote, have to give an award to a guy who got it by writing a pack of lies. Freedom of the press, ain't it grand? And, and he hadn't calmed down by that night. He, he pulled the reporter in to shake his hand and in a voice that only the reporter could hear, it was Nat Finney of Minneapolis, uh, he told him, if you keep monkeying around with these things long enough, you'll get a kick in the pants. Now, I'm told that that quote is cleaned up, that he didn't really say pants. Uh, but, uh, and then we saw it again uh, in 1971. Nixon was there for the awards, uh, and he, when he got back to the White House, he vented uh, in a very lengthy memo. Uh, he said the award winners were, and I quote, way out left-wingers. Every one of the recipients was receiving an award for a vicious attack on the administration. I had to sit there for 20 minutes while the drunken audience laughed in derision as the award citations were read. And then he, he added two other things, that it was a boring three-hour program and the audience was drunk, crude, and terribly cruel. So... I, he didn't leave much doubt about what he thought. And then the one that you cited uh, when Michael Isakoff was getting an award for a story that uh, Clinton thought was like Truman, a pack of lies. Uh, Clinton did what Nixon and Truman both balled out their staff for not doing and arranged to get to the dinner after the awards were presented. George Condon, do you think Donald Trump will attend any of the dinners in the next two years of his first term? Well, I've been wrong so far. I, I cannot believe that he won't attend one uh, because we talked about the 2011 dinner. The, the, he was eviscerated there. What better vindication than to go back to the dinner 
as the president of the United States, you're the man they're playing hail to the chief for. You're the man that people are, are sucking up to all night. That's a pretty heady uh, vindication. and I can't believe he won't want that. And, and the second reason I think he might do it is he did go to his first press dinner this year, the uh, gridiron dinner, and, you know, both staff and, and those of us in Gridiron were very nervous. You know, is he going to walk out? How will he take the humor? Uh, and he ended up, by all accounts, including his own tweet, having a great time. So, uh, you know, they're, they're different dinners mainly because he liked that Gridiron wasn't on TV. Uh, and it's a much bigger audience uh, that would be pretty unruly. But I, I can't believe he won't go. And instead, on Saturday evening, he will be in Washington, Michigan, and in the statement released by the Trump-Pence campaign saying that he does not want to be in the Washington, D.C. swamp. Oh, and, and, and it even goes worse. It's, it's an extraordinarily obnoxious statement because he, he said he's going to Washington, Michigan, as you said. He said he wants to be in a completely different Washington celebrating our national economic revival with patriotic Americans. The suggestion that reporters who cover him aren't patriotic is is extraordinarily insulting. Adding to all of that, this is Michelle Wolf this past week on ABC's Jimmy Kimmel. He, of course, is a past headliner at the Correspondents' Dinner, and Jimmy Kimmel asking her about the upcoming event. You are hosting the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which is a big event for those who don't know. Typically, the president will be there. This president has decided to sit this last one out, and I think he's, is he not coming to this event? No, he's not coming. Um, uh-huh. I get the lovely Sarah Huckabee Sanders instead. Instead, yeah. Um, but, no, it'll be great. Uh, <laughs> but I was actually, like, the first thing I thought when... I heard that he wasn't going. Because you sit on that dais. You've done it. I did. I hosted it, yeah. You sit on a dais, and you eat dinner. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I thought was like, oh, thank God, I don't have to hear Trump eat. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that is definitely... <laughs> you know he doesn't chew with his mouth closed. He's no, yeah. He's probably like a real smacky eater and... Like a mouth breather at the same time. <laughs> Michelle Wolf on ABC's Jimmy Kimmel, your reaction? That is not the formula to get him uh, to, to come. As, as Jimmy Kimmel uh, knows, he was there in 2012. Uh, you know, and, and it's an example of, of the kind of, you know, that, that's more personal than the type of humor that, uh, that we usually do. And often, as you well know, the surprise element is what takes the audience off guard. This is from 2005, as President George W. Bush was about to begin his routine. And then to the podium, the First Lady, Laura Bush. Let's listen. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been attending these dinners for years and just quietly sitting there. Well, I've got a few things I want to say for a change. This is going to be fun because he really doesn't have a clue about what I'm going to say next. George always says he's delighted to come to these press dinners. Baloney. He's usually in bed by now. I'm not kidding. 
I said to, to him the other day, George, if you really want to end tyranny in the world, you're going to have to stay up later. <laughs> George Condon, Lendon Parvin was behind that as well with yeah, Laura yeah. Bush. Yeah, and, and, and it, was, it was a great moment because presidents, especially two-term presidents, sort of run out of things to say, especially if they go to both Gridiron and the Correspondence Center, and some even go to the uh, radio TV uh, Correspondence Center. So coming up with fresh material for three times uh, a year is, is sort of tough for them. And it's funny, no other country requires their, uh, the leader uh, to actually do humor uh, and self-deprecation. It's uniquely American, but it's still it's tough to come up with. And that, that was a, a hit, clearly. As you research this book, what questions remain for you? Um, I'd, I'd like to know more about how the, the dinner evolved and how, uh, how the relationship with the White House uh, worked. Because initially it existed only to cover, to credential people to get into press conferences. Uh, it was very much an adjunct of press conferences. Woodrow Wilson was the first president to have regular press conferences and uh, other people were getting in there that they called in those days tipsters. They weren't reporters, but they were uh, looking for information that could they could use to make money in the stock market. Uh, and the Correspondence Association started really to, uh, to keep the tipsters out and just have real reporters uh, in. And, it, and the rest sort of evolved uh, and it, it, it's an interesting thing. I would, I would, I wish I had been able to talk to some of the earlier uh, uh, presidents and, and and founders. It it still kills me that not a single one of the founders of the Correspondence Association was ever asked a question about why they did it. Even the the last surviving one was at the 1964 dinner, David Lawrence, and nobody wrote a story on the 50th anniversary about about why it was founded or what it was meant to do. And uh, that, that that's a gap in the historical knowledge. We look forward to the book. And let me conclude with one final question. And one of the criticisms of the dinner, can you break bread, have a glass of wine with a source, and still be tough on them Monday morning? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. And, and there's so much hypocrisy in the, in the criticism of it. You know, the New York Times staying away because you shouldn't break bread uh, or have a drink with the source, and yet they're the ones who have historically had multiple private dinners in their houses. Columnists for the New York Times are always entertaining uh, sources and officials. So somehow it's okay if you do it in the privacy of, uh, of your living room or the salons of Georgetown, but it's not okay to do it while TV cameras are watching. I mean, there's no reporter who's going to suddenly change their story and be soft on an official because they had a drink with them uh, at a dinner. But the story might be better informed because you can go up to a source who's been ducking your call and say, you know, you've been ducking my call. Uh, can we talk? Because I need to understand this part of the budget. It's not like you're going to go through the budget point by point at the dinner, but you can get an interview uh, with them because of that.
Do you have a title or a working title for the book? You know, that's actually been the hardest thing on it because, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's probably going to be something like uh, just, you know, the White House Correspondents Association, the, the, the first hundred years, because I haven't yet come up with the perfect title. George Condon of the National Journal. Thanks very much for stopping by. We sure, appreciate glad it. Glad to. Thank you for listening to C-SPAN's The Weekly Podcast. And by the way, you can find our programming on Twitter at C-SPAN Radio and find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.